Crystal. Hello, Kat. I'm supposed to say you? hello. It's my week. Oh, okay. I think like we have lost all semblance of order yeah. here. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I don't even know how we do it anymore in the beginning. I but... think we need to like recommit to some kind of system. <laughs> Next week. Although, can I? I don't think I've told you. Uh, I don't know what episode it was where you have the the ending part that you automatically that you pre-recorded for us. Oh, I actually have started putting them on all of them now. I love that. It sounds oh, like you. I was like when I was listening to it. I'm like, oh my gosh, this sounds like a real podcast. Oh, <laughs> I was like, I I was I like oh. my tone was weird. I actually, I might. I'm thinking I might record it because every time I hear it, I sound like. I don't know. There's something about my tone where I'm like, I just want you. It's like a hip. Di- like, uh, <laughs> That's what we're tapes, trying to do. One of those tapes where like you play it at night so that you stop smoking. That's what we really want you to support us. You want to support us. That's how I feel. So just maybe I'll leave it. Us. <laughs> well, I was hooked. I'm like, yes, I will support you. Oh, <laughs> so I was hooked. But I just wanted to tell you that I like oh, that. Anyways, you. part two, huh? Yes, part two. And it is awful. <laughs> Oh, okay. Glad I showed up. As if the 17 pages of notes did not clue you in. Oh my gosh. I seriously had a mini stroke when I saw that. I was (laughs) like, is she kidding with me right now? 17 pages of notes. Yeah. And this is not like back in the days when I I used to double space my notes. No, this is 17 pages single space. (laughs) So you know what? We're going to get right to it because if I don't, we're never going to finish. So uh, we are going to talk uh, today about part two of Martin John Bryant. Um, I kind of want to give a little bit of a warning here because. Okay. I mean, it's awful. This was a horrible massacre in Australia's history. Um, I don't want to sound like I am being insensitive because of the the pace I'm going to go through this. I'm going to go through it very, very quickly because I think I mentioned it last week. There are so many details here and I want to make sure that the victim's last moments are known because there are so many moments in here that you know me, I'm kind of like a heartless, heartless robot. There are yeah. several points that I actually cried while I was researching because oh. like the things these people did and the things they went through. So, so this is going to Anna Kreisel me because I cried. Oh, it's hard it, doing that. It one. was bad, and we'll see if okay. I can get because I'm tearing up right now thinking of like a couple. Oh things. gosh, um, are you okay? You never do that. I know I don't. That tells you it's bad. So, um. I'm crying because this is 17 pages. So, <laughs> so, um, so we're both going to cry. I just want to I just preface it with that, that I think everyone, I mean, we're at what, 61 episodes now. Everyone knows that my tone is very dry, very matter of fact. So um, I just want to say that I do feel things. Um <laughs> And if it sounds like I'm not because of how quickly I'm going through this, I I apologize. But there is a lot to get through and um, we're going to get through it. Awesome. Yeah. Let's go. We are going back to 
uh, just a really quick what I went over last time was his childhood um, and the day of the massacre. He made a million stops that morning before Uh finally getting to Port Arthur. He ordered his literal mountain of food. Like, I wish I knew how much food he actually ate because... You know, that's always fascinating to me, like little details like that. And you, you were saying it's a big it was a big tray. You know, he ate a lot of food. But like that goes hand in hand with like, you know, when the um, the prisoners on death row, their last meal. Yeah. Before they I always am fascinated by those food choices as well. Because they're so weird sometimes. I know. And so specific. I mean, I guess you're about to die. You need to be specific. But but still. I'm I'm more like I'm fascinated that the amount of food he ordered was enough to draw attention from witnesses that witnesses were like, yeah, oh. that was like a lot of food. That was the thing that kind of got me. Oh, OK. Um, so moving on, uh, we are getting into the actual massacre. So okay. Martin finished his food. He went to carry his tray back inside the cafe Um, He was carrying his big bag and his camera, remember, because he had taken that out of his car when he went to the cafe initially. Uh There were actually some witnesses that were super nice, and they held open the door for him while he was um, walking in and out with his tray of food. Oh. Because they're like, oh, this guy has a big bag and a camera and a tray of food. Let me hold the door for you. How very nice of them. Yes. He didn't deserve it. No. (laughs) So Martin returns his tray and then sets his bag down on an empty table. Okay. The cafe was pretty small, so the tables were really close together. And I think that the small size of the cafe contributed to how quickly everything went down. Okay. So I kind of want to explain the layout of the cafe because it gets confusing when I'm talking my way through the events. Um, I will have a link to the floor plan available in the show notes because the photo is a little bit too detailed for me to put on the Instagram. Oh, yeah. In the notes. Um, I actually have a photo of this so that you can look at it right now. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. So the front of the cafe, ha- like outside of it, has a deck that runs the length of the front wall. And uh-huh. you enter the cafe by walking up a couple of steps onto this deck and into a door. Um, there's a small vestibule. It's called the foyer on the map. Yeah, I see that. And you kind of walk in there and then inside. Okay. Once you're inside, there's a seating area with tables and chairs and a fireplace. Um, the fireplace is across from you in the middle of the room. Okay. Behind the fireplace is a serving area where you pick up and order your food. So the fireplace is kind of like an island in the center of uh, the seating area. Um, Behind the serving area is a wall that separates the front area, like the dining area, from the back with the kitchen, food storage, and an office. Yep. Um, The seating area kind of stretches around to the left of the fireplace and the left of the serving area. And to the right of the seating area is kind of a, an entryway that goes to a souvenir shop and a small display area. Okay. The displays and shelves in the souvenir area, souvenir area are set up so it kind of goes in like a half loop. It's, it's not an actual wall. It's like the shelves are set up so you have to walk all the way around them to see everything. If okay. that makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense when you look at the map. Yeah. Um, so this day, 
the cafe was unusually busy at the time Martin was there because people were waiting for the next ferry to arrive. Remember, I talked about those ferries that go around the island on the tours. People were waiting for one of those to arrive. Okay. And so about 60 people were inside this very small cafe waiting. You know, what's crazy is looking at the picture because I am not good with scale or size or whatever but that looks like a pretty big cafe to me but I I know now that like imagining it in my head and you telling me it's small then I'm kind of picturing kind of a pretty cramped pretty packed in there yeah yeah okay especially with a lot of people there that day like you said okay it's um report said anywhere between 50 and 60 that's quite a few okay yeah that is if you think about it, I, I didn't see anything that said this officially. That is probably actual maximum capacity for that place. Oh, it's 60, okay. Based on photos I've seen of the yeah. inside. He has his bag on an empty table right by the door. And so he pulls an AR-15 with a 30-round magazine attached. So this is essentially a, um, a battle rifle. This okay. is this is a right this is a semi-automatic gun that is used in the war. Like if you think I said it last week, if you think of any war movie you've seen, this is the uh-huh. gun he pulled out. Oh, wow. With um a big magazine with 30 bullets in it for this. In one magazine there's 30 bullets, so yes. that means after 30 he has to replay. I don't know a lot about yes. guns, so that's why I'm asking. Yeah. Okay. This is the gun he pulls out of his bag. He leaves his bag on the table and he immediately starts shooting. His first two victims were a Malaysian couple who were sitting at the next table over. I'm going to pronounce these wrong. I'm going to pronounce so many names wrong and I feel so bad and I'm sorry. Uh, This couple was Mo Yi Ying and Su Leng Chung. These two were killed instantly. So those were the first people he shot. These were the first two. Can I ask a a quick question? And because I don't know if you said this or not. Did he eat first? He and did then, eat first. Okay, so after he was done eating that huge meal, he just gets up and starts shooting? He Remember, he ate out on the deck, so he brings his tray inside, puts his bag down, pulls a gun out, and starts shooting. Oh, God. So after he shoots those two, he shot Mick Sargent. This shot grazed his scalp and knocked him to the ground. And then he shot Mick's girlfriend, Kate Elizabeth Scott, in the back of the head and killed her. Oh, gosh. Martin turned toward Joanne Winter and her 15-month-old son, Mitchell. When Joanne's husband threw a serving tray at Martin to distract him. Like, this is fantastic. So then Jason's father, this would be Joanne's father-in-law, Pushed Joanne and her baby to the ground under a table. Meanwhile, Martin shot Jason. Jason is the one who threw the tray. Martin turned it. Did they survive? Did the two that he pushed under the table survive? I believe so, yes. Oh, good. Okay. Then a man named Anthony Nightingale stood up this during these first couple of shots and he was starting to shout, No. Martin shot him through the neck, hit his spine, and killed him. Oh my goodness. The next table had a party of 10 people who were actually in the middle of getting up and starting to leave when Martin started shooting. One of them had their back to Martin. And when the shots started, that man said, that's not funny. 
because he thought that it was fake gunshot sounds. Oh, wow. So he was in denial, basically. No, it's just that he, it wasn't that he was in denial. It was, you have to remember, they are literally on the grounds of what used to be um, a prison. Oh, okay. So That's right. So you'll see that this becomes a problem. I'll, I'll get okay. into it. Okay. Martin, it gets a little confusing because they, a lot of these people were families. So there's a lot of people with the same name. Okay. Martin killed one man named Mr. Sharp, then shot Walter Bennett. Uh, The bullet that shot Walter went straight through him and hit a second Mr. Sharp and killed Walter Bennett and the second man. So the one bullet went straight through Walter and hit the second man and killed them both. All three of these men had their backs to Martin. So none of them even saw it coming. Oh, no. Gerald Broom was also at this table and he was hit in the face with a bullet fragment from one of those two bullets as well. So those two bullets. Holy cow. Those two bullets hit four people. And you know what? I didn't know. I've always wondered, but I didn't know that that could happen, that a bullet could pass through one person and then hit another person. And these are these are high powered um shots like yeah it's it's a lot so this actually happens quite a few times where a bullet goes through one person and hits another and the thing with these bullets is that they also break apart okay so gerald broom the fourth man that was hit with these two bullets the bullet fragments actually hit him in the face but he survived thankfully oh nice so gay and john fiddler were also hit with bullet fragments from these two bullets. Gosh, these two bullets did a lot of damage right there. And remember, this was a party of 10 that were all together, so they're all very, very close. Oh, man. Gay was hit in the back. John was hit in the head. Both of them survived. Good for them. Um, At another table, Tony Kiston and Andrew Mills were sitting with their wives. When the gunfire started, they immediately stood up and pushed their wives under the table, but they didn't have enough chance to get themselves to safety. Uh-huh. Both Tony and Andrew were shot and killed. Oh. So the two husbands died or the yes, two the two oh, husbands died. At this point, Martin was about 2 meters or 6 feet away from these men. Uh-huh. The uh, these two remember we're working from Martin outwards with the people he's shooting. That means all of these people he's shot are really within six feet of him. Yeah, I don't think Martin saw the two women under the table because he did not shoot at them. Okay, so the next table just behind this one had a few people at it. It was Peter Crosswell, Thelma, Thelma Walker, and Pamelia. Yeah, Pamelia Law. Okay. Thelma and Pamelia were struck with bullet fragments from Tony and Andrew. That's the two husbands that died. So those bullets went through them and hit Thelma and Palamia. Uh-huh. Peter was able to pull them down underneath the table. And uh, another woman named Patricia Barker, who was at a different table, was also hit with bullet fragments from Tony and Andrew. Oh, Wow. 
Gosh, he did a lot of damage. This is only the beginning. Oh, no. So that is a lot that happened very, very quickly. It was only just now that the other people in the cafe were beginning to actually grasp that something was happening and that the shots were real. Because remember, they're on the grounds of a literal prison. Yeah. A lot of people thought that the sounds was fake bullets for some kind of historical reenactment. Oh, like an effect. Oh, man. They did not know it was real. Ugh. So remember I was describing the layout of this. Martin was standing by the main exit. And so people were panicked. They're confused. They can't get out. Yeah, I'm sure that was a horribly confusing situation. Yeah. And just a panic. Um, not yet. Give me a second, because I don't think the the panic has had a chance to set in yet. Really? I'm panicking and I wasn't even there. Give me a second, because uh, I'm going to tell you how fast all of this happened. But there's okay. still more. Okay. Martin had been shooting all of these people from essentially one position. Like... All those people that I just talked about, uh-huh. he was standing in one spot and he was just shooting them from one spot. Jeez. And that's that just tells you how small this area is, that all these tables are so close together that he didn't need to move. So this is when he actually takes his first couple of steps and it's the first time he really moved. Uh-huh. So and uh, as he moved, he shot at another table, hitting a man named Graham Collier in the neck. Graham was choking on his own blood with all of this going around him. Oh. He actually ended up surviving. Really? Yeah. Holy Some of these cow. survival stories are crazy. 15-year-old Sarah Lawton saw Graham get hit. So she, this 15-year-old girl saw this man get hit in the neck. Mm-hmm. Immediately turns and runs toward her mother, Carolyn. Her mother had actually been up walking between tables when the gunfire began. Carolyn pulls her daughter to the ground and then laid on top of her to protect her. Oh. Um, Martin then shot Mervyn Howard, who was sitting. And... That tells you how quick this is all happening. That this man is still in his seat. Yeah, still because seated. Because that's how little time had gone by. Yeah. Martin shot Elizabeth Howard, Mervyn's wife, in the neck. And then he leaned over her and shot her a second time in the head. Jeez. This guy is ruthless. He is. The bullet that hit Mervyn... The man who was sitting went straight through him and broke a window behind him and then hit one of the outside tables on the balcony. So now the people outside are realizing that something is going on and they kind of start getting up and moving. Yeah. Inside. This is one of the parts that made me cry and it's it's horrible. Here Um, we go. The 15 year old girl, Sarah, and her mother. Who is laying the one on that, top of who her. she threw herself on her mom? Martin came up and shot Carolyn, the mother, in the back, and then shot Sarah in the head. Oh my gosh! Carolyn's eardrum ruptured because the shot that was into her daughter's head was right next to her ear. 
Carolyn survived her injuries, but she learned while she was in the hospital that her daughter had died. Oh, that is awful. It's horrible. Um, and like I said, no one had tried to run past Martin because he was literally right by the main exit. Oh my gosh, this guy. So now notice I, every time I talk about this, I have said main exit. I have not said only exit. Oh yeah. So remember the souvenir area with the shelves that make you walk in a loop? Uh huh. On the other side of the loop, there actually was a door that led out to the front deck. Uh huh. For whatever reason, it was locked that day and it could only be opened with a key. Oh no. So people couldn't get out. Oh no. I can't even imagine the panic right there when they figure that out. Yeah. Oh um, man. This is awful. A man named Mr. Elliot realized that Martin was kind of, remember Martin's taking a few steps. A man named Mr. Elliot realized that Martin was heading right towards him and the table right by him was already full of people. So he had to find somewhere else to hide. So Mr. Elliot starts running towards the fireplace. Remember, this thing is an island in the middle. Get around the back of that. You have shelter from Martin. Yeah. But Martin shot him in the arm and the head as he was running. Oh, my God. This man survived after extensive surgery. What a badass. To survive that? This is... Holy cow. Crazy. So... I know I'm, I'm getting repetitive and I keep saying that this happened very, very quickly. Just to recap right there, just what I just said, 12 people are now dead, nine are wounded. How much time do you think has passed from the first shot to right now? Okay, so I don't know much about guns, but I am going to estimate two minutes 15 seconds. What? That was all in 15 seconds? 15 seconds. How many bullets were shot? I didn't write down how many bullets were shot. Holy cow. That is insane. I think uh, so somewhere between 12 and 15, I believe. Maybe up to 20. That's insane. It is insane. And that tells you like how he got so many people. Because of 15 seconds and that happened. Please tell me he only shot for like 20 seconds. Oh, no, it goes on much longer. Oh, my God. So now Martin started moving towards the gift shop um, and that souvenir area because people uh -huh. had run in that direction. The problem is there were no tables to hide under uh, in that area. So people were literally just crouching in corners. Oh, my gosh. So Martin goes over there. He shot Nicole Burgess, uh, Mr. Lever, and Miss Neander in the heads, killing all three of them. Oh, wow. Mr. and Mrs. Nash were able to run to the door, that the door on the other side of that loop, and the it was locked. So then here's another one. Mr. Nash laid on top of his wife to protect her and hide her from Martin. Oh, wow. I, honestly, like most of these cases of these people just trying to save each other. Yes. Is it's incredible. Horrible. Yeah. At this point, Martin actually saw movement coming from the cafe 
So he turned and he walks back towards the main door and he starts shooting towards tables over there where it's it's like he saw a move and he shot it. There he hit a uh, Mr. Crosswell who was hiding beneath the table. Uh-huh. Now back in the souvenir shop, now he's zigzagging back and forth. Yeah. A man made a comment to someone next to him that he was like, "Man, I think Martin left." And this man started to stand up. Um I saw one report that said this was Mr. Winter. Okay. I think this was uh Jason's father the man oh. who so Jason was the one who threw the serving tray to distract Martin his father kind of ushered his uh wife and 15 month old son to safety I think this was him but I'm really not sure because some the official list of the dead only includes Jason and not his father so I'm a little unclear if this was actually him okay but Martin saw him and he shot him and he hit him in the hand, chest and neck. And I think this this indicates that um, this man had his hand up kind of blocking him. Yeah. And the bullet went through his hand and then hit him in the chest and neck. And then Martin walked over and shot him again in the head. Gosh, I hate this guy. You should. Some of the fragments from these shots to this man hit Dennis Olson, who had been hiding by this man. Dennis survived because Martin didn't see him behind. Okay. So the events from then on are not as clear because by now the witnesses are fewer and they're I think their recollections get kind of lost in adrenaline and consciousness, the chaos of the moment. Oh, gosh. Just the pure chaos of when people start realizing what is actually happening. Because like you said, some people thought it was some sort of reenactment or sound effect or whatever. And so I think once it's like however many seconds it took for people to start like realizing like this is an oh shit situation like the I can't even imagine the panic that ensued we are still inside the cafe we haven't even touched the people outside yet and we're only still seconds in yes crazy so this is the part where things get kind of muddy. At some point in here, Martin reloaded his gun. He left the empty magazine on the counter and then he started to shoot more people. So that means he finished the magazine of 30 bullets. So yes. do we know what at what point in how long it took him to do the third all 30? No, and that's that's why I say like the there was a really confusing account of what okay. happened here, but I think it's because okay, yeah. the witnesses are all panicked. They all like the people in the souvenir shop can't see the entire cafe. Clearly the people in the cafe can't see the souvenir shop. They're all hiding in corners under tables. So all I know is that at some point in all of this, Martin reloaded. Okay. He's gone back and forth to the cafe in the souvenir shop. Again, not very clear. He goes back and forth several times. He kills Ronald Jerry, Pauline Masters, and Peter Nash. Uh, Remember, Peter Nash was the man who had gone around with his wife to try and open that door. And then he laid on top of his wife. Oh, my God. My stomach hurts. I can't. (laughs) 
It's so bad. Um, thankfully, uh. Martin did not see Mrs. Nash underneath Peter, and I'm pretty sure she survived. Good. So now, Martin leaves the building, and uh-huh. shit's about to get so much worse. Oh, fucking A. So now, it has been 90 seconds. Martin fired 29 rounds inside the building, and he's already killed 20 people in 90 seconds. This guy. So outside, the madness is just going to continue. So I have an aerial photo of the cafe. You can kind of see a parking area out front. You can see a parking area to the it's in the photo. It's to the left, but that's the back side of this cafe. Uh-huh. And then to the right, you can kind of see a parking area where some buses were and down leading away from the buses at the top right of this photo is um, what we referred to as, I think, the jetty. Okay. This kind of gives you an idea of what the outside looks like as I'm going through this because it's just, he goes everywhere and it's confusing and horrible. So outside, there were about 100 people milling around waiting in lines to get on, they call them coaches or buses parked outside. Some people had heard the noise of the bullets. They thought this was a historical inter- reenactment, like I said. They started walking towards the cafe to see what it was so they could look at the show. Oh, my gosh. Because they just didn't know. They didn't know, yeah. When the shooting began inside, some of the employees inside the cafe had actually been able to escape out the back through the kitchen, and they started warning people outside. Good. Like, they're running everywhere. You, the people outside, you know, they're confused because they're like, um, what are you talking about? It's just part of the everyday. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. One of the employees was directing people away and into a nearby information center. Uh-huh. And Martin fired some shots in his direction. Thankfully, the shots missed him and hit nearby trees. Oh, good. Martin started moving towards the coaches or the buses. At the buses, there was an employee named Bridget Cook who she had been told secondhand that like, hey, there's a shooting. You need to get people to safety. She started moving people between buses to get them like to find cover. Like she was directing people hide here, hide here. After everything happened, she said actually that she was worried she was making a fool of herself at the time. Like she was embarrassed why she didn't know that anything like think of it this she's gotten this info secondhand and to all these people she looks like the crazy woman that's just and that's how she felt yeah i could i could kind of i could kind of see that like and um i have i've actually heard from someone uh one of our uk listeners has said that the embarrassment factor in The other countries, I don't know if this applies to Australia too, but at least in the UK, feeling embarrassment on behalf of someone else or extreme embarrassment for yourself is normal. So Uh her embarrassment here that like, oh, I'm overreacting. All these people think I'm crazy. I get it. Mm -hmm. But she absolutely saved lives by getting people hidden. Well, good for her. 
so one of the coach drivers was shot in the back and he he had to crawl and roll underneath a bus to hide he ended up dying from his gunshots gosh Martin was walking along the buses. So think of this. These people are hiding between the buses. Martin starts walking along them. So people are hiding on the opposite end, trying to like make sure they're out of his sight. Oh, man. I can't even imagine how this felt at that moment. So this is like if you've ever been in a grocery store late at night when there's no one really there, you're walking down the aisles and you kind of spot people at the end of the aisle opposite. I think that's what he was doing. And he was just shooting people as he saw. Oh my gosh. Bridget, the girl who was helping hide people who said she, that in the moment she felt kind of embarrassed. He hit her in the, in the thigh and shattered her femur. Jeez. One of the coach drivers was running with her, was hit by fragments of her bone. Oh, my gosh. Both of them were able to run away and they both survived. I can't. I can't. It's awful. So Martin is continuing around the buses, um, just shooting everyone he can see. He shot a woman named Winifred Applin in the chest and killed her. Mm. A woman named Yvonne Lockley had a bullet graze her cheek. She was able to run up inside of a bus and hide inside the bus and she survived. In the madness of all of this running back and forth, trying to figure out where Martin is, where to be safe, it, it's chaos. Yeah. Martin shot a woman named Jeanette Quinn in the back, as well as a man named Mr. Hutchinson in the arm. Wow. Now, Martin goes back to his car, which I'm pretty sure was parked on the backside of the cafe. There's actually a yellow car you can see. I can in, see it right there by the grass. I don't think that's his yellow car. Okay. But he was driving a yellow car. I think that's where his car was. And there are the, co- the buses on the right. Yeah. So he okay. walks all the way to his car. He switches his gun out. And this is where I said that there was a uh, conflicting reports. The uh-huh. one I saw the most often was that he switched to an FNFAL. Okay. I had to look this up. And uh, it stands for FN is the brand name. And it's a uh, fusil automatic Leger. Okay. Or light automatic rifle. This is one of the most widely used battle rifles since the Cold War. It's actually used by over 90 countries. Wow. Very popular battle rifle. Okay. I don't know if he chose this rifle because of the history of Port Arthur and the fact that this is a popular battle rifle or if it was a popular rifle and that made it easy for him to get. Uh Uh-huh. I, something about I don't know why, but something like in my gut feels like there's something significant about him choosing this rifle. Yeah, I could be overthinking it. Martin used the gun still at his car to shoot a woman that was running away from him. Thankfully, he didn't hit her. Uh huh. He sat in his car for a couple of moments before getting up and going back over to the coaches. Okay. Due to the elevation of the area that he was parked in. So the area that his car was in was 
a little raised above everything else. Mm-hmm. He could see the entire parking area, but they can't really see him because they're hiding behind cars. So Martin can see where every single person is hiding. I am shocked that there isn't one person here that doesn't have like a gun or a weapon that they can use on him at this point. I mean, you know, I don't know. That sounds odd, but do you know what I'm saying? Or someone hasn't run up behind him yet or someone hasn't tried to tackle him yet. I mean, I get, I wouldn't do it, but I'm just saying like somebody else. I don't know. I think in, this is 1997. This is still early enough that mass shootings are not common. Yeah. So, whereas today when we teach I've actually been in several um, active shooter safety classes. Mm-hmm. And so you can tell the difference between a good a good class and a bad class because these days, active shooter drills in a good class will teach you the offensive. They'll teach you to um, stack chairs up by the door so that there's something blocking it. It makes a lot of noise. If they come in, be prepared to throw something at them. Stand uh, right next to the door, not across the room from the door. So, oh no, 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 no! I'm laying my body across from the door, and I'm just playing dead in hopes that no, because that means you're the first thing they see when they come through the door and they shoot you. Exactly. You want to be on the same door, same wall as the door, because when they come in, they're not looking to the left and right; they're looking forward. No, I already have my plan. I'm going to grab their ankles. Your plan is wrong. And I'm going to pull gonna their, grab their ankles. <laughs> You're like, okay, well then goodbye. I don't, I'm never spending time with you in a public place because you don't know what you're doing. Crystal, play dead and then grab their ankles. And pull no. Them to the <laughs> so. Sorry. This is a, okay, go on. Um, so because he's above everything, he can see everyone. Um, thankfully I think people realized quickly like, oh, he's over there and he can see me and people started running away. Good. Good. Martin fired again at these people. Didn't make contact. He goes back to the buses and he comes across Jeanette Quinn again. Uh, this is the one that he had shot in the back. Man. When he shot her, she had fallen to the ground. Why? Was, you already shot her. Don't shoot her again. He shot her again. This guy. I, <sighs> he then boarded a bus where he shot a woman named Elva Gaylord who was hiding there. Oh, my God. Gordon Francis was in the next bus over and he saw Martin shoot this woman in the other bus. <sighs> He ran down the aisle to close the door on the bus that he was on because that door was wide open. Martin saw him running down the aisle and shot him from the bus he was in. So like through the windows shot him. That man survived after four operations. Oh my gosh. So Jeanette, the woman who Martin has now shot twice in the back her husband Neville had been running with her when she got shot. He had continued running. And now that Martin is gone, he came back looking for her. Oh no. At the same time that Neville finds Jeanette, Martin was coming off the bus and saw him. And 
So Neville is running around the bus. Martin is chasing him around the bus, shooting at him. And shot at him once and missed. Neville ran around, tried to get up into the bus to hide as like, a okay, maybe he'll think I ran somewhere else. Yeah. Martin saw him, followed him onto the bus. Martin pointed the gun at Neville's face and he he literally said, no one gets away from me. Oh, God. And I think that this actually saved Neville's life. Really? Because in saying that Martin gave Neville time to react, Neville was able to duck just in time that the bullet missed his face. It hit him in the neck and it knocked him to the floor of the bus. Really? Martin gets off the bus and after he got gets off, Neville got up and found his wife where she was laying on the ground and like, get your tears ready because uh. she died in his arms. Oh, and Neville was later taken to a hospital via helicopter and he survived. Oh, so now Martin, Martin was leaving off of that bus after shooting Neville in the neck. James Belasco, who was actually a U.S. citizen, mm-hmm. was videotaping Martin. Oh, my goodness. And you can see this. um, I'll see if I can find a good enough clip that I can post, but you, you can see this really fuzzy video and the guy's like there, there he is. That's him. Martin tried to shoot him, but he missed. Oh, people were running down along the jetty. Remember that's uh, leading away down past the buses Uh because they were just trying to get anywhere that was away from Martin and they knew they couldn't get to their cars because that's where Martin is. Yeah. Martin, went and got into his car and started driving away. Okay. Where did some he of go? The wit- some of the witnesses said that he was honking his horn and waving. Other witnesses say he was firing more shots out of his window. So he just got away? He's leaving. Okay. A woman named Nanette Mickack, uh, when Martin had come outside and started shooting, she started running towards the toll booth, like the entrance to get into Port Arthur. Uh-huh. She was carrying her three-year-old daughter, Madeline, and her six-year-old daughter, Alana, was running with her. Oh, my gosh. Martin was driving down the road, and at this point, they were approximately 600 meters or about a third of a mile away from the cafe. Uh-huh. Martin pulled up next to them and opened his door as he slowed down. Nanette told Alana we're safe now pumpkin because she thought Martin was someone who had managed to escape the madness and was picking them up to get them to safety too oh no people were running behind them and they started shouting no it's him it's him Martin told Nanette to get to her knees and then shot her in the temple and then he shot three-year-old Madeline in the shoulder and chest stop stop I'm sorry I need a minute it's um do you want a minute now because you're gonna need another minute in like two seconds let's get it over with six-year-old alana ran and hid behind a tree martin followed her he fired two shots at her those two shots missed but then he came up while she was hiding behind this tree and then shot her in the neck oh my gosh and now you can have your minute oh 
I can't like I can't even fathom being there at that moment. No, I can't either. So people who had witnessed him shooting Nanette and her two children, uh huh, they kept running to the toll booth. They were telling everyone to turn around. They're like, go back. There's a shooting. You need to get away. And they ran down like side roads uh-huh. because they didn't want to stay on that main road because yeah. they knew Martin was going towards the toll booth. The people at the toll booth, like employees and visitors, had no idea that any of this was happening. How? Well, because they were far away. Like, I, yeah, I guess. they just did not know. So Martin hid his guns and he drove up to the toll booth where there were several vehicles that were already in line. He got out of his car and he got in an argument with a a man named Robert Salzman. And no one really knows what they were arguing about, but he shot Robert dead right there in front of everyone. Oh, my gosh. No one knows what the argument was about. People think that it was because his car was blocking Martin from leaving. Jeez. A driver of a BMW who was actually at the front of the line approached Martin. And no one knows really exactly why. I think this is what you were wondering. Why has no one tried to stop him? Yeah. People thought this man was trying to stop him. But Martin shot him in the chest and killed him. Oh, my gosh. There were two women who were in the BMW as passengers. Martin shot them both. Dragged both of their bodies onto the road. And then he transferred his guns, handcuffs, ammunition, and a container of fuel from his car into the BMW. Oh, my gosh. The four people who died here at the toll booth were Robert Salzman, Graham Salzman, Helene Salzman, Mary Nixon, and Russell Pollard. Sorry, that was five people. Oh, man. Gosh, how many people? When is he going to stop? Oh, he's nowhere near done. Uh, I need this to stop. All the while, cars have been approaching the toll booth. Like, this is just a normal day. They're going to Port Arthur. They saw what was going on, and they were able to reverse and drive away. One car drove up after Martin was no longer distracted by the BMW full of people that he was shooting and arguing with. And um, Martin shot at that car. He hit the windshield and the driver's side door. Um, This was Graham Sutherland. He was hit with glass because Martin had shot his windshield. Uh Uh-huh. He was able to reverse and back up and he left down the road that he uh, drove in on. Well, good. Martin got inside the BMW, stole the car, and he starts driving down the road too. So Graham, with his busted up windshield made it to a gas station nearby and he starts warning people. He's like, hey, there's a shooting at Port Arthur. You all need to get away. Martin drives up to the gas station very shortly after because, you know, he was right behind Graham. Uh huh. There was a white Toyota Corolla that was pulling out onto the highway. Martin blocked them. He gets out of his car And he tries to pull the passenger, a woman named Zoe Hall. He just starts trying to, like, pull her out of her seat. Why? I think he was hell-bent on taking a hostage. Okay. 
because Zoe's boyfriend, Glenn Pierce, got out of the driver's seat, walks around, approaches Martin like a, hey, get your hands off of her. Martin took his gun and basically pushed it against Glenn's chest and used it to force him into the trunk of the BMW. Jeez. Or I have to say this, they call it the boot. Yeah, I yeah, I've heard of that over there. Yeah. yeah. The boot of the car. Now that Glenn is in the trunk, Martin went back to the Toyota and shot three times killing Zoe. Oh my gosh. So I'm telling you he's not done. Oh, this guy. I'm he's killing me. People well, outside the that. service station are diving into the nearby brush. An attendant inside ordered everyone to lay on the ground while he locked the doors. So Australian law at the time dictated that ammunition had to be kept in a locked safe. It couldn't be kept in the guns. Okay. The attendant had a rifle. Oh. Readily available, but he had to go to the safe to get the ammunition. By so he had to he, leave the locked room he was in? Well, it was like in the back room. Oh, okay, okay. So he goes back to grab ammunition, and then he, by the time he had come back with a rifle and a gun ready to try and stop Martin, Martin is gone. Oh, no. Gosh, she minutes, could have stopped him at that I, point. Oh, oh that is so frustrating. Well, a few minutes later, a police officer finally arrived. Yeah, I was going to ask, has anyone called police at this point? Well, uh, remember, I mean, this is 97. Cell phones, not very Oh, prevalent. they don't have. Yeah, not a lot of people have cell phones. I guess yeah. you're right. So okay. uh, the police officer, everyone at the service station was like, he went that way. Follow him. So... Meanwhile, Martin is driving back towards Seascape. Remember, this is that little guest cottage that his dad had wanted originally. Yeah. That he had killed the couple inside. Oh, that's right. He's heading back that way. On the way there, he's just shooting at cars. Just from from the driver's side? Yeah. Yeah. So what, does he have the gun, like, in one hand and the, his other hand on the steering wheel? I guess so. At one okay. point, he actually did pull off to the side of the road, and he was just shooting at cars that were passing by him. This and guy of, is a nut. Absolutely. So one of these times, one of the cars he shot, he actually hit um, the hood of the car And he broke the throttle cable so their car actually was not running anymore. And he hit the driver in the arm. The the road they were on was kind of at a decline. So they were able to keep coasting down the hill and get out of sight. Uh Uh-huh. Another car was right behind them, which Martin shot at because we've said that's what he's doing. Um, He smashed their windshield and one of the passengers was wounded by the shrapnel. Oh, that car of people kept going down the road and they actually passed the first vehicle, like the one with the woman who had her arm shot. The one that he's no longer driving, right? Uh, The car was not running. 
And so they had coasted oh, okay. down yes, the hill yes, and yes. then pulled over. Okay, okay. They, this second car kind of kept going until they realized that that first car was full of victims. Uh-huh. They turned around and came back to pick them up. Oh, good for them. So now there are six people in this car. They all go down the hill to a place called the Fox and Hound. Okay. And they called the police there. So now Martin has driven down the driveway. He's pulled in front of Seascape. And this is about 2 p.m. Okay. So uh, what is the time frame between... This I think, and to him, the starting the shooting. I think we're at 30 minutes. Okay, gosh. So he he pulls up to Seascape. He pulls Glenn out of the trunk. And then he brings him inside and he handcuffs him to a stair rail. And then he set the BMW on fire. <laughs> okay. So in this area, there were only two police officers on duty. Jeez. And at 1.30, they received the call to get to Port Arthur, and they were told that there was a shooting, and they needed to look for a yellow Volvo. Okay. Remember, this is Martin's car. Yeah, yeah, but they it's still took, parked at the place, isn't it? At 1.30, he was still in his yellow Volvo. Oh, okay, okay. They took two separate cars, and they took two separate routes to get to Port Arthur, which I think is very smart, because yeah. they don't know where he is. Totally. As they were driving, they got an update that they're like, no, look for a BMW now. And because um, the people for, at the Fox and Hound had told them that the vehicle had changed. Yeah. One of the officers was going to the Fox and Hound to talk to these witnesses. He passed by Seascape on his way to Fox and Hound. Oh, when he got to Fox and Hound, the witnesses were like, oh, he's up at Seascape. Yeah. So now the two officers go continue up to Seascape. They got there right what kind of when the BMW was on fire because they could see it. Oh, wow. As soon as they come up, Martin starts shooting at them. At the and cops? They had, yes. Oh, wow. He, the balls on this guy. They had to take cover in a ditch on the side of the road. Oh, wow. And, and I'm assuming any, they called for backup or they can't because they're the only two cops. Yeah. Oh, my God. Anytime Martin tried to shoot it, anytime they tried to get out of the ditch, Martin shot at them and they were stuck there for hours. Oh, my goodness. So now at 2.10 p.m., a woman from the ABC network called Seascape. Okay. Because she had been calling local businesses because she heard about the shooting and she was trying to get like an inside scoop from the local businesses like, hey, what's happening? Yeah. Martin answered the phone. He called himself Jamie, <laughs> which he calls himself Jamie the entire time he talks with police. Why? And what's woman. the point of that? I don't know. Ugh. But the woman asked him what was happening because she's like, hey, what's going on? What do you see? Because she wants... A scoop for the news. Jamie replied, lots of fun. Okay. And then he told her, if you call again, I'm going to shoot this hostage. <sighs> so at 3 p.m., oh, Martin calls the police station because he's ballsy as fuck. And he's an idiot. The girlfriend 
of one of the police officers who is currently in a ditch outside. Is she working? Does she work at the police station? I think she might. Oh, that's kind of cute. She answers the phone and Martin introduced himself as Jamie. And he asked her, do you know where your husband is right now? How did he know? I'm assuming this is a small town and everyone must know everyone. Okay. So he says, do you know where your husband is? And do you know if he's safe? And so she's like stunned. She's like, yeah silent so he said oh don't worry he's okay i know exactly where he is okay of course you do because you're pinning him in a fucking ditch yeah i was gonna say at some point one of the police officers said that they saw a naked woman running around outside screaming okay i only saw this one place and it's the weirdest thing Some of them say they thought that it was Mrs. Martin, who later they know that she was actually already dead at this point. Yeah. I don't know who this naked woman was. That's weird. Weird. But 9 p.m. Now, at this point, these police officers have been in this ditch for seven hours. What? Seven Seven hours? Seven hours. God, I bet in that ditch for those seven hours, I bet they thought a lot about their job description, how many other people they should hire on for the department. (laughs) Holy moly. Yeah. So 9 p.m. They couldn't call backup from other places nearby. This is when backup arrives. Seven hours later. Yes. That's ridiculous. The special operations group of the Tasmania police, I think this is their version of SWAT. SWAT takes hours to get together. Jeez. So they were finally able to assist in getting these two officers out of this ditch. They basically used the darkness of night to sneak riot, them out. Riot shields and bulletproof jackets to get them out. And is Martin still like. Martin is watching them this whole time. How come he's not shooting at them? Oh, he probably because, is. They have the because shields. Because it's, it's dark. Oh, like, okay. I, they were trying to deliberate. And the whole thing is they thought they had live hostages inside the house. They thought they had three hostages in that house. So they didn't want to shoot back at Martin yeah. because they were afraid of hitting and killing the hostages. That, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, that's how they're trained. There was an 18-hour standoff where police talked with him on the phone. I don't even want to know what he said to them because he's such a fucking bullshit person. I mean, I don't really know what the gist... I mean, I know that they were trying to talk him into letting the people go. Yeah, well, Um, obviously. He said he wanted a helicopter to fly him to a plane, and that plane would then take him to Adelaide, South Australia. It's like this stupid movie shit. Yeah. Because, you know, he has the mind of an 11-year-old, so of course that's the coolest thing he could ask for. And then where was he going to go from there? Like, everything was going to be forgiven, and he was just going to walk away? Absolutely. What an idiot. So he said in return for this... He would return Glenn and he would only keep Mrs. Martin as a hostage. Oh, like the police are going to be like, okay. Ugh. Yeah. 
So this is this is a something that they have never been able to figure out. Okay. Somehow Martin was able to keep an eye on all around the house. He's surrounded by police. Anytime police on any side of the house, any one of them tried to advance on Seascape, Martin knew and over the phone he would tell them, tell them not to do that because I'm going to shoot at them. There wasn't surveillance in the house afterwards? Like, no cameras that they... No. There were no cameras. That's odd. What police said was that there were actually some times where they could see a man standing on the neighbor's roof. Like, they could see the silhouette of a man standing on the roof, and they thought that was Martin, and that's how he was keeping an eye on them. So... Over the course of this very long negotiation and standoff, police officers kept coming, like more and more and more. Some of them came from as far as Victoria and New South Wales, which is on the mainland of Australia. Now, remember, we're on Tasmania, which is the island off of Australia. Yeah. From New South Wales to the Australian border. And this is even before we're going... On to Tasmania uh-huh. is sixteen hundred kilometers or one hundred miles. Okay, Gosh. these police officers are coming from one hundred miles away to help. Jeez. So late, late into the night, the batteries on the phone were starting to die. Yeah, and police were like, "Please put it on the charger. We want to keep talking to you." He ignored them. The phone died, and communication stopped. Ugh. So now they're just waiting. They're like, we have to keep watching the house. We don't know what he's going to do. What if he calls us? Early the next morning, Martin set the house on fire. And then he's standing there and he taunts the police. Like, I guess he was standing like at the doorway as the fire is kind of starting to come to life. He says, come get me. And at that point, the hostage, the police knew that the hostages had to be dead. There's no way. Oh, yeah. That's what that's what I was trying to think. Like, why would he give up then? So police decided they're like, you know what? Let the house burn because at some point Martin's going to have to come outside. Or hopefully just burn to death in there. Um. Yeah, I don't I don't think Martin was No, going because for that. he's an idiot. He think uh so the house is burning down. The house is burning down. And remember, he has a lot of ammunition in there. Oh, that's right. And as the fire burned, the ammunition starts going off. Oh. And it's exploding every which direction. So the police are having to take cover because these are it's literally live ammunition. Yeah. Eventually, he runs out of the house with his clothes on fire uh-huh. and he, he tears all this burning clothing off. The police arrest him. Good. Um, after the fire either burned itself out or it was put out. I'm not really sure which happened. Uh-huh. The remains of Mr. and Mrs. Martin and Glenn were found. Oh. All three had been shot and were dead before the fire began. And Mrs. Martin had also suffered blunt force trauma. Uh-huh. Mr. Martin had also been stabbed. Remember, that was in part one. Yeah. Yeah. So that happened even before the cafe shooting. Yes. Their deaths. Yeah. There were two weapons found. There was one in the house 
and then one on the roof of the neighbor's house because that's where the the police had seen the silhouette of a man that kind of solidified yeah. that Martin was up there. Okay. Police interviewed Martin, obviously. And some of the things that he said, which I, I don't... Yeah. Um, he admitting to stealing the BMW. Okay. He denied shooting any of the occupants. Remember, there were four. And he claimed Glenn had been one of the men that was already inside the BMW. He also said, like, Glenn must have died in the trunk when he set the car on fire. So he's not even claiming the responsibility that he killed Glenn. He's just like, he must have died. He must have already been died. (laughs) So don't don't blame me for that one, dude. He was already chilling in the trunk when I set it on fire. And then he didn't really make any kind of distinction between the car fire and the house fire. It was all just the fire. This this next one completely. I don't know why he thought this was going to fly. He denied going to Port Arthur at all that day. (laughs) Even though multiple people identified him. Oh, my God. And he ordered so much food. I'm sure the receipt was still in his pocket. Please. And and. Remember, his car is still there. Yeah. With his passport in the car. Well, and then that one guy that got video of him, too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, buddy. So people think that Martin was either like straight up lying to police, which is like, duh, of course he is. Or some people have actually speculated because of his insanely low IQ that they think he was actually mentally incapable of recalling the events of the day correctly. I don't know. I don't know. Either. I don't know I if I buy that. Lying. I don't even buy his low IQ, really. He does have a low IQ. Yeah, but then he has to have some street smarts to pull off something like that where he's killed what? The body count is at 30, 35, 35 people. Do you know what I'm saying? Okay, but think of how many like 11 year olds are sitting here playing Call of Duty, which takes some measure of um, logical thinking to it, you know? I guess. I don't know. And his know. IQ is the same as an 11-year-old. I just feel like for him to pull this off, it either was it either was luck on his part or... I don't think it was luck. I think it's the fact that we're, it's 1997 and people are not expecting someone to commit a mass shooting. But 35 people and then to hold a standoff for, what, 18 hours... There are so many. You cannot fake an IQ that low. Uh, I'm pretty sure I could if I just answered all the wrong answers. No, it's... um, What was his uh, IQ again? 66, I believe. I wonder what what grade equivalent that was. 11 years old. Oh, that's right. Okay. So I think with as many psychiatric evaluations as he's had... If he was faking it, someone would have been able to tell. I guess you're right. Yeah. I just, I just, I don't know. I think it actually speaks to how low his IQ is. I will try and find um, some audio that you can understand. And if I can find it, I'll put it at the very end of this episode. Okay. There are videos of him where you can see his interview and he's just like, giggling through the whole thing well I think I saw a little clip of it during our little kind of like break is he wearing like a blue 
yes. sweatshirt. Yeah. yeah, he looks like he's at, like talking to two friends, the two police officers yes. that are interviewing him. Yeah, and I think at, even, at one point they even ask him, "Oh, you used why are this? you laughing?" Uh, and then the one of the cops say, "Well, why would you do something like this? This is pretty awful." And then he says something like, "Well, it, it, he's laughing and smiling. Yes. Well, it's people like me that are kind of if I didn't do this, you guys wouldn't have a job." Yes, like what? Yes. Yeah. He's like, yeah, it, I almost like he's doing them a favor. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he laughs the entire yeah. time. I noticed his, fa- I didn't hear the audio. I was just watching it on mute and, and you can see his face. He looks a little dopey. He, he does. And he looks like, he looks like an 11 year old having a conversation. So crazy. Yeah. Um, so he originally pleaded not guilty to the 35 murders. Uh huh. Well, he and wasn't he there. Actually, he, while the judge was reading the charges out loud in court, he was laughing, not his little giggle, but he was laughing hysterically the entire time. Well, he's insane, obviously. Yeah. Um, the prosecution started presenting evidence and his defense attorney was able to convince him to plead guilty to murders. Oh. So he did plead guilty. He has never provided a confession. Okay. I'm surprised they found him competent to stand trial then. He's not insane. That, but even with his low IQ, he's still competent too? Yeah, because he knew what he was doing. I don't know. He was found guilty on all charges. Good. He was sentenced to 35 consecutive life sentences. Oh, wow. Plus an additional 1,035 years. Oh, God. One Australian news source said 1,652. Regard, like, I can't find a single source that gives the actual number of years. Yeah. It's over 1,000. Wow. And he is currently serving that in Hobart's Risden prison. Uh, His paperwork actually explicitly says that he is never to be released and he is to serve his entire term with zero chance of parole. Good. I hope life in there is awful for him. I'm going to give you an update. Yay. Okay. Uh, This sentence is very, very rare in Australia. Oh. Very rare. I could only find 50 or 60 people, like, total, who have been given a sentence to life without parole. Wow. Yeah. Like, ever? Not ever. I think the death penalty was ruled out in the early 1900s, I believe. Okay. And since then. All right. Martin is known as Australia's worst spree killer. And the Port Arthur Massacre is one of the worst mass killings worldwide. Oh, wow. So what I found really interesting is the studious lack of attention they gave him during and after the trial. Okay. There were actually reporters that had gone to the jail and taken photos of him before the trial. Yeah. The judge found out and he called them and he forced them to destroy the film in front of the governor. Wow. Why? Because they did not want to give this guy any attention. Oh, my goodness. Martin was not allowed to listen to 
any media coverage of the massacre on the radio. Um, Martin has given some conflicting information and actually really confusing information on why he did this. Okay. He's never actually given an outright reason. I saw one thing that said that he blamed this one. I have no idea. I have no idea where this came from. He said he blamed the fact that he was not allowed to sell homemade trinkets at <laughs> outside a store when he was nine years old. Oh my gosh. Um, I have no, I could not find a single thing on this. It's just the weirdest fucking thing. That is his reason. It's one of the reasons he's given. Oh my gosh, this guy. Basically, the general consensus is that people say that he was desperate for attention. He was growing increasingly frustrated because he couldn't make friends. His only friend had died. Yeah. Um, a neighbor actually reportedly said that Martin told them, quote, I'll do something that will make everyone remember me. Oh, man. Well, he did it. Yeah, um, in that that interview that you and I were just talking about with uh-huh, him, yeah, police asked him. They're like, "Why did you do this?" He just smiles, and this smug little asshole says, "I'd really love to help you out, but I can't." <laughs> and you know, he probably heard that on a TV show or something. Yeah, and he was just like, "I gotta say it! I gotta say it!" Just because he's dumb. Is he still alive? He is still alive. Uh, I'll get I'll get you an update okay. because it'll probably make you happy. Okay. Um, the actual reason has never been released. Jeez. Martin's lawyer is the only one who knows, and he's not going to say Co- attorney-client privilege. Privilege. Um, there was actually just last month in May, there was a um, a special release in Australia. That was said to release never before known information about this. Uh I tried to watch it and I can't because I'm in America. Oh, no. I tried. There's not a YouTube or anything for it? I signed up for a subscription service. I think it's too new. Oh, okay. And it won't let me play it because it's not supported here in the States. Oh, no. So anyone can pirate me. Pirate me a copy of this. I don't even care if it's like a cell phone video that you yeah. send us. I want to see this. Oh, man. Um, I think I actually mentioned this in part one. Or maybe I alluded to it because you said that he might be on the spectrum. Yeah. He was actually diagnosed with Asperger's. Oh, wow. Yes. That that makes sense. After seeing that video and other stuff, totally makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but... He was not found to have any kind of depressive disorder or schizophrenia. Wow. They so have to be af- missing something on that. I, I don't know. Like, I don't. There has they, to be. I don't think so. A chemical imbalance of some sort. I don't know. With as many times as he's been evaluated, I can't yeah. see them missing it. Okay. Um, in the aftermath of the massacre... Obviously, lawmakers cracked down on gun legislation. Uh, Tasmania and Queensland uh, actually historically were both really resistant to gun legislation. Okay. But even they actually took action to tighten gun control. Uh Uh-huh. The Tasmanian government, interesting enough because this happened on 
the island of Tasmania, they did not want to adopt these gun control changes. Why? Because um, I'll get into it in a second. Okay. Um, They're very, very conservative and they did not want gun control. Yeah. Essentially. Okay. The Australian federal government threatened them with penalties. Uh So they were forced to comply. They banned or heavily restricted legal gun ownership and the use of self-loading rifles, shotguns and pump action shotguns. Oh, wow. I actually today, um, like right before you and I started recording, I found a Reddit thread where people to this day in Australia are upset about this gun legislation. Really? Yes. Um, You can actually see a photo that I will include on Instagram. Do you see this dump truck load of guns? Yeah, the picture. That is from a buyback system that the government put in where basically they were going to buy back your guns. That is a lot of guns, too, right there. They bought back 600,000 guns. Jeez. And I didn't know this. I actually found this in the Reddit thread. People said that their taxes were raised to support this buyback system. So people were not happy about it. Oh, wow. One guy actually... One guy specifically said this but people would take the money from the buyback and turn around and just buy new guns really they would just buy approved guns so one guy said he was like i sold my pump action shotgun and then i turned around and i bought a double barrel shotgun because oh the my pump gosh action was illegal now but the double barrel was not i wonder how much they were getting for the guns i'm not sure i couldn't find specific numbers Port Arthur reopened a few weeks after the massacre and a new restaurant was opened. The Broad Arrow Cafe is now a memorial era and they use it as a place for quiet reflection. And the surrounding grounds around where the cafe were has been made into a memorial garden. Oh, that's nice. Port Arthur staff do not like to talk about the massacre. I don't blame them. Yeah, they prefer to focus on the cultural history of the site uh-huh. and the Aboriginal folks that they um, that were the original keepers of the land. Okay, I believe it was the Scottish Prime Minister and the Australian Prime Minister actually traded like memorial items uh-huh. for because remember there was that school shooting in Dunblane right like six weeks before this. Oh yeah. The two countries kind of bonded over these incidents and there's um, there was a gift made to Port Arthur by Dunblane and a gift made to Dunblane by Port Arthur for their memorial sites, which I thought was really sweet. Oh, that is sweet. So now to lighten this up a little bit. Uh, is that possible? It is because... <laughs> um, uh, security officers and uh, prison staff refer to Martin as Porky Pig. <laughs> he has put on quite a bit of weight. He likes his food. Well, geez. How much are they um, feeding him there? So the, the thing is, he trades sexual favors for snacks. Oh, my God. And literally all he does is like sit around and eat. He's not interested in exercising. 
I have a couple of photos here of from an Australian um, news article. Oh my gosh! <laughs> the news is—they're mean. So Good. They call him. They call him dim, fat, and angry. <laughs> and the captions on these photos in the news article, um, they're they're rude. They're, I understandably, I think they're poking fun at him. Yeah. But they're like the one time they were able to convince him to get out and play football for a little bit. Oh and this my is just gosh! Him. Jeez. Um. Yeah, so if you, and then there's a another photo of him a little further down. That's a current photo where he has packed on the pounds. I can see that. Holy moly. Yeah. So, well, good. I guess he'll just either die of obesity or. Yeah. Oh, man, that, what a horrible, what a just an evil person. I know this was horrible. It's just absolutely awful. And 35 people. And an additional, I believe, 27 were injured. God. Just by one person who is an idiot and evil. And there's really no other, no explanation. No, not at all. Because I don't care how lonely you are. It does not justify this. How sad for those families get on that Tinder. lost their... Uh, well, no, don't get on Tinder. Gosh, just like go somewhere and go away. That's it's just, just like all the like senseless loss that yeah, happened here. for no reason. Literally no reason because no one knows the reason. And I'm sure it's a stupid reason. I just, yeah. So well, I'm glad that's over. Well, it's out of my head. Yeah. And now, into and now it gets to live in your brain. And I don't, and usually I'm okay with stuff like this, but this one, uh, this one was bad. This one was awful. This one was like, it's so interesting. I like to think back at the, at, you know, the types of cases we both pick uh-huh. and, your cases, I feel like, are more like, I don't know, I go for, like, really horrifically sad, and yours are more like... Twisty, turny, let's get mad at the man. Yeah. Like, that's just evil. That guy's just evil. Yeah, so this one, like I said, we have never done an Australian case. Um... And this one just caught my eye. So that's that's our introduction to Australia. Well, that's people are bad everywhere, not just in Australia. Yeah. Yeah. That's what that shows. Yep. All right. So I hope <laughs> what? you enjoyed that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was great. <laughs> It was just, it was very interesting to research. Yeah. Because um, it's so different from our school shootings. Like yeah. Like this guy. That's true. He seemed hell bent on causing the most damage. Possible. As he could. Because he, he went inside the cafe, outside, he zigzagged all over to yeah. maximize the number of victims. Yeah, just awful. He had zero regard for children. Anyone. Um, 
Yeah. So. Well, there we oh. go. Actually, you know what? It's not out of my head. It's still in it. Um, <laughs> well, thanks for share that this bullshit. with your friends. Yeah. Maybe uh-huh. the more people we get listening to this, the more pieces will be taken out of my brain. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? Thank you all for yeah, listening. Thank you. Thank you for coming to listen to this horrible story. Hope you have a great yeah. day. <laughs> we'll Goodbye. see you next week. <laughs> Bye. Kat and I are so grateful for all of our listeners, and we love hearing from you guys. Connect with us on Instagram and Facebook at Alternative Interest Podcast and let us know your thoughts on this week's case. We want to cover the things that you guys want to hear, so please email us your case suggestions at alternativeinterestpodcast at gmail.com. As always, thank you so much for listening and sharing us with your friends. Be good to each other, and we'll see you next week. Bye.